You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. All right, uh, the passage we'll be reading from today is Romans 5 verses 1 to 11. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. G'day, great to see you all. It's just great to be back. I'm sad I missed, um, if you're at Base Jam, I wasn't there. We had, um, uh, I was a close contact last week, um, so my youngest son got... I uh, was tested positive for COVID. It was really annoying. I didn't even know. This is the difference between my wife and I. I didn't even know he was sick at all. Um, and then my wife comes to the office and says, Barnaby's tested positive for COVID. I go, what the heck? Like, why did you test him for, for COVID? She goes, well, he's been sick all day. And I went, was he? Was he sick all day? Anyway. So, but uh, yeah, so we're all in ISO for a week. So anyway, it's great to be back. Sorry I missed last Tuesday. Sorry I missed the weekend. And I'm glad I'm here with you this evening. And uh, it's, it's a bit of a downer because we've completely just jumped over the Mark series effectively. So we started the Mark series and um, just as it was getting off the ground, we've had to ground it. And now we're trying to keep in, you know, in track with our schedule. Must always submit to the schedule. So um, we scheduled Romans. Um, and so now we're getting into Romans, a series in Romans chapter 5 through to chapter 8. And, um, and I thought it was funny. I called it the, the, the Romans chapter 5 uh, to 8. It's, it's all about grace. Um, and the tagline is the difficult second album because, um, because basically what's happening in Romans 5 to 8 is that Paul is going uh, back over what he's uh, explained in a nutshell form, like what, you know, at grass... At, at, in bare bones, nuts and bolts, what is the gospel? That's what he teases out in a really dense argument in Romans chapter 1 to 4. When it gets to Romans chapter 5 and through to 8, he tends to go back and pick up on some of the implications of what he's just said. So he picks up a lot of the themes he's already talked about. And now he sort of turns to, now that we've understood the gospel, what does it mean to live in light of this gospel, to live um, basically under grace as opposed to law. 
So here we are. We're at chapter 5. And the question before us uh, this evening is, what does the Christian gain? The question is, what does the Christian gain here and now? What's the benefit of the gospel for us here and now? And to understand this a little bit better, I first of all um, want to give a bit of uh, background and explain sort of the setup in Romans chapter 1 to 4. I mean, it's just such gold. Um, I had planned to do this, you know, this uh, whistle-stop tour through, through Romans chapters 1 to 4, just fly through all the main points. Um, and and I, I practiced the talk with that in it, and that was the first half hour before I even got to Romans chapter 5. So I thought, that's not going to work, so I had to just cut that. And it's really, it grieves me that I have to sort of whittle it down so much. Um, but in a nutshell, let me get to the nub of it. In the first four chapters, Paul is making it clear that what he's wanting to do uh, is bring both the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian together in the one gospel. It says later on in Romans that he's planning to go and preach the gospel in Spain um, and that he wants to stop by Rome on the way. And it appears as though, in part, what he's wanting to do is to make sure that the church in Rome is established and firmly unified in the gospel so that it can be a solid um, you know, mission, you know, a springboard for mission uh, to the ends of the earth. You know, Spain would have been the ends of the earth for them. Um, and so that's, that's in part what he's doing, trying to unify them in the gospel. And that's because uh, the Jewish Christian would have had a, a, a slightly different understanding uh, to what it means to hear the good news that Christ is king, what it means to be a Christian, than the non-Jewish Christian. They would have had slightly different understandings. And Paul is wanting to tease it out so we're all crystal clear, so we're all on the same page about what exactly is the good news about Jesus being king. You see, for the, for the Jewish person, as they're anticipating the coming Messiah, so the Jews, right, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, uh, for the Jew, Jewish people, as they were looking forward to, and the scripture was pointing them towards this coming Messiah that would restore all things, that would bring this floodgate, open the floodgates of blessing for his people and the rest of the world, they were viewing it from a framework of blessing through covenant faithfulness. So let me tease that out a bit. They were seeing it through this framework of blessing through covenant faithfulness. So it's all by grace. God chose this people, not according to what they've done, but just because of his grace, his kindness. He chose them. He chose Abraham just because it was, it, that was his gift to him. He chose the Jewish people to be his special chosen people. But God made a covenant with them, a deal with him. He says, I'm choosing you to be my people, uh, but to uphold your part of the deal, you're to act like my people, right? Like, I'm choosing you to be my people, to live under my kingship, the blessing of my rule. But your part of the bargain is that you, is that you become my people. And so he gave them the law. And their understanding was, and it actually says it in the Old Testament, that you maintain this relationship as God's people, right? 
by loving God through obedience to the law. You're saved by grace, right? You, 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 were, you were chosen by grace to be a part of this community. And God enables you to obey his law by giving the law in the first place and by creating this sacrificial system that offered forgiveness. Whenever you slipped up and disobeyed the law, there was a way of coming back and repenting and being washed and being forgiven. So he gave them the mechanisms by which they could be faithful to this covenanted relationship, right? Like he's, he's entered into a marriage with them. That's, that's like a covenant relationship. That is a covenant relationship, marriage. This relationship established on a mutual commitment and he's, and he's given them all the means by which they can be faithful to this relationship. So as the Old Testament trundles on, you know, the wheels fall off. And to cut a very long story short... The prophets are telling them, look, in order to really enter this land flowing with milk and honey, to really open the floodgates of God's blessing upon you, you have to repent and get real about faithfulness to God. And your faithfulness to God, your commitment to him is going to coincide. It's going to happen in the future sometime. That's going to happen. You will be covenantly covenantally faithful, like this is God's plan, that this will happen. And that's going to happen in conjunction with this coming Messiah and this great grand restoration of Jerusalem and blessing to the end of the earth, right? And so when the Jews hear that Jesus has come, some reject him, but some accept him, they become Christians, right? Some Jewish people go, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. He is the Messiah. But what are they thinking? Well, they're thinking in terms of that Jewish framework, right? That, that, oh, so here comes the Messiah. He's going to restore all things. He's going to help us be obedient to the covenant, right? To be obedient to the law. That the floodgates of blessings will open. And so even though they are Christians, and they know they are saved by grace, they also have embedded to this saving and their saving salvation understanding that they need to, 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 to maintain or to keep up their end of the bargain by obedience to the law. And Paul is saying to them, and this is something we need to hear too, because I reckon you can in part resonate with what those Jews are thinking, right? Paul says to them, No, you've got it wrong. You're underestimating how bad you are at being faithful to the covenant. And when Jesus, you know, when God says in the Old Testament, there will be a day when you are covenantally faithful, when you are obedient to the law and the floodgates of blessing will open, he's not actually picturing a day when you will finally pull yourself up by your bootstraps and succeed at being faithful. That's not what God is anticipating. What he's anticipating is that in Christ, you'll be reckoned as obedient to the law. Great King David's greater son will come and do it all for you. He won't just be the gateway in to relationship with God. Jesus himself will maintain this relationship of blessing. And Jew and Gentile alike, therefore, have to simply come 
and fall at the feet of Jesus and lean on him to come into relationship with God and to have this relationship maintained. That's, that's, the, that's the critical bit, to maintain this relationship of blessing. And so Paul famously says at the start of Romans that in the gospel, Jesus is king, right? That's the gospel. We talked about that at, in, at the beginning of Mark. Here's the gospel. Jesus is the great king. He's going to bring blessing. In that gospel, Jesus is king. Our righteousness has been revealed, Romans chapter 1, which is by faith, from first to last. Not just in, but you continue the relationship through faith in Jesus. And so he's trying to bring the Jew and Gentile alike together and say, you're all in the same boat, actually. And the Gentiles don't need to obey the law to maintain this relationship in Jews, nor, nor do you, actually. You both need together just lean wholly, solely on Jesus. Now, a, a loose end, and this is where uh, Romans chapter 5 particularly becomes relevant. A loose end is, well then if Jesus is the Messiah, right, and he's bringing uh, this great restoration, and it doesn't depend on us, you know, it's not like Jesus comes as the Messiah and that's the beginning of the restoration and now he's going to help us be covenantally faithful by obeying the law and then there'll be this age of progressive blessing. Now, that can't work, Paul, because you just said that it's, it's through, you know, it's, it's, the righteousness is through faith from first to last. Like as in, Jesus is a comprehensive done deal, but Jesus hasn't restored Jerusalem. There, there isn't this complete cosmic renewal. There isn't the, the, the floodgates of blessings haven't opened. So if what you're saying is true, Paul, about how comprehensively Jesus has done the work of blessing on our behalf, then, then what do we actually gain here and now? Because nothing's changed. Like what, what do we gain? Here and now. And, and, and how do we live? Like these are loose ends, Right? For the Jewish way of thinking, as he's explaining in depth what it means to receive the good news by faith. And so here's our question, right back to the start. There's the background, the context, the framing. What do we gain? Well, look here. It says here in verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So what do we gain? Well, two things jump out there, right? We stand in grace and we boast in hope. Did I read that last sentence? And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Did I read that or not? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So it's there in verse 1 and 2. Um, in verse 1 and 2, it says that we... What, what have we gained right now? Well, we stand in grace. We've got peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Right? We've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We stand in grace and we boast in hope. That's right now what we gain as Christians, all of us in this room. We stand in grace and we boast in hope. Well, what does that mean? Well, we stand in grace. Well, we have peace with God. 
There's that beautiful and famous photo of JFK, one of the most famous of all the American presidents, and he's in the Oval Office at the Resolution Desk, I think it's called, that office in the, uh, the, the desk in the Oval Office. And you see beneath him, uh, under the desk, his son, JFK Jr., just playing away, completely oblivious to the cameras flashing, completely oblivious to the fact that very few people would be able to go into the Oval Office at all to be in the presence of perhaps at the time the most powerful, if, you know, at least one of the most powerful men in the world to even get within a bull's roar of the, of the White House requires a special pass, right? And here he is in the Holy of Holies, right? JFK Jr., playing under the desk at complete ease and freedom. Not even asking a question, should I be here, do I have a right to be here? He knows it's okay for him to be there. That's my dad. He's not the most powerful man in the world. That's my dad. He loves me and I love him and we play together. And this is completely appropriate. Well, what I'm saying here is that finally... Finally, what the Jews had longed for. That we could just keep our end of the bargain. Well, that's happened. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He actually meant it. It's finished. Remember the, uh, uh, in, the, in the passion narrative, the temple curtain torn in two? Access. In Hebrews it says, we now can enter boldly. We have freedom to enter into the most holy place. Who? Any person who is a Christian, formerly reserved for the high priest and only once a year, after offering sacrifices for the sins, going through the cleansing process, they would dare to go into the Holy of Holies. Now you can waltz in any time you like. You have access. You can know for sure now, because of the finished work of Christ, that God loves you. He's on your side. You can cry out, Abba, Father, and know that you are his daughter, his son, his child. And he loves you like that. Your family now. We have peace. No more striving. We have pole vaulted in Jesus Christ. We have pole vaulted the Grand Canyon. We have jumped over this in, 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 impossible chasm. This implausible feat we've pulled off in Jesus Christ. And now there's no going back. That's what we need to understand. There's no going back. You can't get back. As long as you have Christ by the hand and Christ has you by the hand, that's what you have. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in grace. And we have the hope of the glory of God. We've been gifted hope. Now, to me, this sounds like slightly like a, um, you know, a dud deal. 
so you know we we have we have hope. Well, what kind of grand gift is that? Um, I would much rather a land flowing with milk and honey. I'd much rather um, you know I'd much rather the renewed creation. Yes, where there there, there is ten cents a litre petrol. Where you know there's that's you know give me something that is actually tangibly a blessing and a good thing. So how is this a something? It says here. Uh, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in this. It's meant to be grand and fantastic. What's so good about it? Well, here's the thing, right? We all live by hope. We're all driven by hope. Small ones, weird ones, odd ones, huge ones. We're all driven by hope, and it shapes the way that we live. If I want to be, you know, if I want to have a beach body for summer, this is autobiographical. If I want to have a beach body for summer, you know, that, that's my hope. And I start to lose weight and I start to exercise. I failed this last summer. But, you know, that's, it changes the way I live, right? My son, he wants to be, a, he wants to be an AFL player. I don't know. I, you know, whatever. I, I pray that that will resolve happily. But, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's his driving ambition. And, he, and he, 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 he's, he knows everything about football. Um, he's got all the Hawthorne garb. I mean, he speaks like a footballer. He hangs out with footballers. He wants to, you know, he's starting to look like a little mini AFL player because that's his hope. It shapes the way he lives, right? You want to be a, a vet. That's what you want to be. And so you study the courses. You take an interest in animals. It's sort of, it's something that occupies your time. And before you're even a vet, you're starting to look and sound like a vet. There are big hopes, little hopes, all sorts of hopes, and it drives our lives. We're always looking forward. We're always looking ahead. And in part, the reason why we always hope as human beings is because every single one of us constantly lives with this conviction that there's something better ahead, that we're not quite there yet, right? Now, just get that about hope. The reason why we're such hope-driven creatures is because we want something better. And everyone hopes. Even 90-year-olds hope for something. But you think, hang on a second, haven't you worked out yet that you're probably never going to get there? Like, I mean, it's a horrible thing to say. But right? no, honestly, we're all wanting things to somehow get better. And this is, what, this is what Paul is saying here is so great about the gospel. Well, here's a hope that is a mother of all hopes. We live between two great salvation events. The catalyst to the kingdom coming. Jesus dying on the cross. That, that's, that's the engagement ring, if you like. That's, like a, that, that's our deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Like Jesus dying on the cross. That's, that's Satan defeated. That's the wrath of God poured out for sinners to be saved. That's all the groundwork done. That's the first event. The first part of the salvation of it, the second part that we're looking forward to is the consummation, right? When Jesus comes, it is finished. And now every scarric, every aspect of sin and chaos and disorder and beyond. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, the renewal of all things. A day when there will be no need for hope. Because everything in the moment will be perfectly as it ought to be. Can you imagine living like that? 
like just not experiencing that longing kind of hope in your life because everything is so as it everything is so in place you are fulfilled that's the gift he's given us the assurance that our hope is not in vain and this hope that we have completely transforms everything in our lives and here it goes on particularly talk about suffering it transforms our experiencing our experience of continuing to live between these two salvation events still in the groaning creation this hope this gift transforms that experience we still experience it but it transforms it look what it says there in Romans chapter 5 not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. Suffering now has been transformed into something that refines our hope, that just feeds our hope. It's not trying to claim that sufferings now suddenly are somehow good in and of themselves. No suffering's still suffering. If you can avoid suffering, please avoid suffering. Don't invite suffering. Don't think it's super spiritual to be into suffering. It's not. But what Paul is saying is that, no, we still live in the groaning creation, but it's been utterly transformed. Now it's been used by God to just help you to really see and feel ever increasingly how good the hope of the glory of God is. When I go for a bike ride, I often go for bike rides, I like bike riding, I'll sometimes plan, um, you know, to, to, you know, how I'm going to rest afterwards, especially if it's a long bike ride. Uh, my daughter loves uh, fettuccine carbonara, I often make it for her, and so sometimes, like, I might go for a bike ride, I think, okay, in my head, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make uh, fettuccine carbonara when I get home, and it'll be a lovely way to relax and I'll just sit, flop down and watch a bit of TV and hang out with my daughter. I'll get all the ingredients ready so it's really easy to do when I get back right, it's all ready to go. And when I jump on my bike, when I'm starting my ride, I'm not really thinking about the fettuccine carbonara. I know it's there at the end, it's kind of my reward, like, you know, I've earned it. But I'm not really thinking about it, I'm just enjoying the ride. Might be listening to a podcast. I reach the 20 kilometre mark, right? And I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit spent, a little bit worn out. Um, and I'm beginning to think about that <laughs> fettuccine carbonara a bit more than I was at the start. My focus is drawn to it because I'm starting to suffer. When I get to the, this is, and this is again, this is autobiographic, when I get to the 300 kilometre mark, right, <laughs> right, as you do, yes. And when I get to the, no, no, when I get to sort of, you know, the 40 kilometre mark, perhaps on my bike ride, I, for me, you know, I've, I've lost all my fluids, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure I'm pretty much about to die. I'm sort of seeing double. There's sweat pouring off my... You know, my, all my clothes are sticking to me like, like this. It's, it's awful. And every part of my body is aching. And I'm just... All I can see that keeps me going to get home is the fettuccine carbonara. Like, I can't even see the road anymore. I can see his pasta. And, and I'm going, yes. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, Come. And what, 
And what Jesus is saying here is that, you know, the more you go on in life, and this is a really weird place that I find myself personally, right? Like, I'm actually approaching 50, right? And here's what's crazy. At 50 years of age, I now feel like I'm very possibly closer to death than my 20-year-old dreams. I don't mean my dreams are 20 year old. I mean my, the dreams I had when I was 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, I had dreams and ambitions and hopes, right? At 50 years of age, I'm beginning to realize I'm closer to death in the end than I am to all those hopes, dreams, and ambitions I had 30 years ago, many of which have just completely gone and evaporated. I haven't got close to them at all. And even the ones that I've sort of have sort of come to fruition, haven't actually delivered in a way I expected them to deliver, and now I've got completely new hopes and dreams, and it makes me realise maybe this is not the way it works. You have these grand hopes and dreams and visions and hungers and wants and desires as a 20-year-old, and you just think it's going to happen. Somehow, well, here's the thing you don't reckon with, is that when you get to 50, you don't even want those things anymore. The goalposts have shifted. And now it's going to take you another 30 years to get those ones, but you'll die before you get there. And you go, what is going on? And then you realize, yes, you know what? God has actually made us to enjoy him and his creation, but only he can deliver it. And the more I go on and I just live in a groaning creation, my body starts to give way and relationships get difficult and... I don't seem to kind of progress necessarily at making myself any more happy or any more fulfilled. I don't. I really am no more happy or fulfilled than I was when I was 20. I remember having a, a lift with a dentist one time back from his surgery because I, I just had some emergency stuff done on my teeth because my teeth got knocked out with a hockey ball. I was rushed off to this dentist. He gave me a lift home. And I just remember being so depressed by him because he was going, oh, you know what? And he, was, he would have been maybe 40 or 50. He was going, you know what? The best years of my life, university. Best years of my life, university. I'm going, shut up. Like, <laughs> you know, what a bore. And now I'm 50, I'm going, mm, the best years of my life. <laughs> when I was, you know, like, it's, I, I, I get it. I get it. And, but now, but now I, and then I go back to the Bible and I say, yes, you know, like, Jesus, the, what, the gift of the gospel isn't actually that you escape from suffering here and now. It's not. It's that through really experiencing life in a growing creation, you get how much we need the new creation. You really get it. You taste it. And it drives you back to the cross. And you thank you, Lord Jesus. It is finished. It is done. You've done it. And it is coming. It is, it's going to happen. And I just feel in my bones that this has gone on way too long, this talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, <laughs> but <laughs> the next few verses are so critical um, that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come back next week. <laughs> for, for, uh, stay tuned. Uh, so when you come back to Romans chapter 5, part B next week. So book, bookmark 
this thought, right? Because here's, here's where it's, here's the cliffhanger, the cliffhanger that leads you desperately wanting to come back for more next week. Here's the cliffhanger. How do we know that the hope of the gospel won't disappoint? How do we know? And that's what G, uh, Paul wants to really nail down in the next few verses. So come back for more. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.